Thank you for that. That's a, uh, I was sitting there listening to that and thinking, and first off, Dan, thank you for the introduction. I looked over at Megan, who is with me today, and she works at Hope, and I said, well, no pressure there. Uh, and, uh, and so thanks for that. Um, but, but think about that song for a second, the reckless love of God, that no matter where you are from today, even though we're right here in Knoxville, I'm from Middle Tennessee, small dairy farm in the middle of nowhere, that God will grab a hold of you no matter what. And it'll take a, a, a little redheaded boy from a dairy farm and reluct, who, who does not want to move to Knoxville, who does not want to marry a girl that's not from Cornersville, who does not want to work anywhere outside of Cornersville where he called home for so long, and then bring him to Knoxville to do his work. And so that's what we do here in Knoxville. Uh, for those of you, the last time I was here, about a year ago, for Sanctity of Life Month, um, some, some things have changed. We added another child in the Woodhouse, and so we now have four children. Uh, little Charlie Jean Wood, uh, our, our third girl. So I have one boy who's six, and then I have Summer Paige who is four, Evelyn Lois who I know she sounds like she was born 60 years old, but, but that's a name that will grow with her. Uh, and she is two. And then we have little Charlie Jean Wood, uh, who is our youngest, who is five weeks old. And so quick story about that. All of our children were uh, induced. And for those of you that are like, well, I don't know what that means. I'm not going to go into it. What that means is, though, we can, we can really schedule around delivery. And it's a wonderful gift of science and a common grace of our Lord that that you, you're, in our case, that my wife could be pregnant and then we could look at the doctor and say, well, let's just get our calendar out and decide when we're going to have this baby. And that's what we did. And my wife was, was set on the, this, this last pregnancy. I just, I don't want to be induced. I want to just kind of let nature happen, which made me really nervous because I like calendars and I like being able to plan things out. And she, our, our baby, uh, oddly enough, was due on Sanctity of Life Sunday. Well, I'm kind of busy around Sanctity of Life, speaking at churches, going to Washington, D.C. with the March for Life. And I told Aaron, I said, yeah, we, we need to really plan when little Charlie Jean makes her arrival. And so Aaron got called in. She works at the vet school, and Aaron got called into work one Saturday. And so I'm at home with the kids, and Aaron's at work. And I was driving Evelyn. We were going to get lunch. We are going to Wendy's, the real nice, I don't know if you've heard of that really nice hip restaurant, Wendy's, that uh, you can find in a number of places. But we were going there, and I get a call from my wife, and my wife said, uh, my water just broke. And I said, well, I'm, I'm on my way to Wendy's. And so <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do with that. Do I have time? What if there's not a line? Do I have time to still get to Wendy's? And apparently, no, there was not enough time. And so I turned around, went home, and because this was our first time of letting nature kind of take its course, we uh, had no bags packed. And so I went home, and I was packing my stuff, and I was packing Aaron's stuff, and I was packing baby stuff, and, and not really sure if I was doing any of that correctly. And... Uh, and then I went and met her at the hospital, and then here comes Charlie. And I tell you all that to say I still didn't eat Wendy's that day. And, and I, I just want you to know the sacrifice that I made on behalf of my family uh, 
and now subliminally y'all are going to leave here and you're going to go, you know, I kind of want Wendy's for lunch. And that's okay, because I, I do too. So, uh, so we, we welcomed our, our fourth child. And so uh, before anyone comes up to me and says, do y'all know how that happens or anything like that? Yes, we know how that happens. We are pro-life through and through. And uh, uh, this may uh, make my wife a little uncomfortable, but I'm prepared to have as many kids as the good Lord allows or until I have a redhead, which I have yet to have. So uh, one or the other. Uh, so... So we, we moved here in, in 2008, like I said, from Middle Tennessee, and I, I took a job at the University of Tennessee, and my wife works at the vet school at UT, and then we just felt like the Lord was really doing some work in, in our lives. And so uh, I, I was convicted on my pro-life stance. I'm a political science major, uh, and, and so I like to tell people I'm a scientist uh, by trade, but not a scientist that you would really respect necessarily, but, but a political scientist. And so I, I always saw the pro-life issue through a political lens. That was, that was how I saw everything. And so that's what I cared about, was how you voted and, and how you stood on life. That would tell me how you stood on a number of different issues. But then we, a friend of my wife's was pregnant and lost her baby at seven months. So she had to deliver her baby knowing that there was no life. And I, the Lord used that to say, what does your politics say about that? How can your politics bring her comfort right now? And I thought, it can't. And so the Lord really started working through me on, on what is my stance. Is it just a stance? Is it just a bumper sticker? Is it just a vote? Is it just the courts? Or is it actually rolling up our sleeves and getting into the culture and engaging our culture at a different level for life? And then I was sitting in my office at the University of Tennessee, and I got an email, and it said, do you know anyone that would be interested in being the executive director of Hope Resource Center? And I thought... I think I do, and that's me. And so I put my name in the hat for that. There's not a lot of men in that world, in the pregnancy center world, and uh, we have 14 staff members at Hope Resource Center, and 13 of those are women, and then I would be the man in that scenario. So, um, but, but I knew that we couldn't just sit and do nothing. And so I sat down with my wife and I said, what are we gonna say when our kids look at us one day and say, what did you do while 3,000 abortions occurred every single day? And I said, right now our answer is we voted, we put a sticker on our car, and sure, those are good things. I said, but if I take this job, then we could say, well, we got up every single day to see that life would be celebrated, to see that young women would be loved and cared for and supported would see that families would be celebrated and ultimately that, that life would be chosen. And so that's what we did and that's what we've been doing. Now for almost three years, I've been at Hope. And, and so for those of you that are like, I still don't have a clue what Hope Resource Center is. We opened our doors in 1997 and, and, and we, we are a nonprofit. So we, we receive no state money, no federal money, no tax money. We are able to operate with the gifts of churches like this, with individuals and businesses in this community and around the country. And we do about $600,000 worth of services every year that the patient never sees that as far as cost. They never have to pay. Their insurance doesn't pay. 
we take care of that. And that includes pregnancy tests, ultrasounds, STD testing and treatment. We just added well woman care, which is the annual exam for a female. We do parenting classes, mentoring, and we do about 50 baby showers every single year for first-time moms. And, and the amazing thing about that is this church not only gives financially to make all that happen, but this church also, we've expanded our parenting classes to include Bible studies and life skills, cooking and, and those type things. And this church has said, you can use our facility. So we're using your kitchen, we're using your rooms. And, and so we just want to say thank you for that. Because what that does in, in real, real terms, you know, a lot of times when we talk, we talk about numbers. But in, in actual lives, the, the support that you're giving us meant that, that a baby got to ex- experience its first Christmas just two months ago because their mom came to Hope Resource Center and chose life. That there's a kid about to graduate high school who, and, and their mom came to Hope Resource Center years ago thinking about ending that pregnancy but found support. And so your, your, your financial assistance, your opening of the doors is actually making an impact in this city in the lives of not just babies, but, but of young moms and families and, and dads. And so we, we do thank you for that. Um, as, we, as we walk through what we do at Hope Resource Center, I think it's important to, to kind of share some stories. So I do want to highlight one story that occurred uh, just last year. We, had, uh, we have a Hispanic uh, outreach uh, staff member who is a nurse practitioner, and, and she serves any of the Hispanic sp- patients that come in. And we had a Hispanic patient come in and, and uh, you know, pregnancy tests, ultrasound, all of that, was about to get the baby shower and called us the day of her baby shower and said, hey, I'm, I'm in labor. Which I thought was interesting that she took the time to call us. She didn't have to do that. Uh, you know, I wouldn't have, but okay, that was really nice of her. So she took the time to call us while she's in labor. Look, I'm not going to be able to make it to the baby shower today. And I want you to hear the heart of our staff. Our staff said, well, that doesn't mean we can't take the baby shower to her. And so our nurse practitioner and the mentor that that served this patient packed up their cars, went to the hospital. All they thought they were going to do was they were going to drop off some items just so she could have those items when baby arrived. And then they get into the room and there's nobody there to translate. So our nurse practitioner starts translating with the nurses on staff. And then we find out that the husband of this patient just got a new job. And if he leaves the job site, he loses that job. And so think about this. I was on my way to Wendy's for our pregnancy. I had no worries. I was like, okay, I'll just eat a burger tomorrow. This family is going, if I leave the job site to watch the birth of my child, I lose my job, and then I can't support my family. So what do you do? So our staff said, don't worry about that. We'll stay here with you. So then they come in, and they say, okay, we need you to grab a leg. And if you've ever been in a delivery room, which some of you have, some of you haven't, I was told that with our first child, and I was like, what are you talking about? Grab whose leg? My leg? And no, apparently not. Apparently, the, uh, and, I, and I didn't get paid for that. It was really strange. But, 
but that's what, that's what our staff did is they, they stepped in and they helped deliver the baby. And then the doctor that actually walked in to deliver the child is also on our medical executive committee at Hope Resource Center. So in the room, as baby is being delivered, we have a staff member, a mentor, and a doctor that serves on our medical executive committee delivering that baby. And the nurses around were going, who are all of y'all, y'all and, and, and what's going on? We were able to tell them we were Hope Resource Center. And then they said, she doesn't have a car seat. And we were able to say, yes, she does. We brought it. Well, she doesn't have a diaper bag and, and diapers. And, and we were like, yes, she does. We brought it. And so through the support that, that y'all give and other churches around the city give, we're able to not just say, have your baby. We're able to say, we want you to have your baby and we're going to be there with you. And we're going to remove obstacles from your life. Because let's be honest, they've had obstacles in their life for a long time. They've been treated as a commodity. And we're able to look at them and say, no, no, you're not, you're not going to be treated as a commodity. You're going to be loved, valued, and respected because you bear the image of our creator. And so if we believe every human in the womb and outside of the womb bears the image of our creator, then isn't that going to change how we engage with them? It should. And so that's what we do at, at Hope Resource Center. And, and what I want to do today is, is go through some verses that as I was preparing uh, for the months of January and February, because I'll just be honest, I've been church hopping since January and I'll be church hopping until the end of February. Uh, my home church is probably wondering uh, why my wife is, not, is there by herself. And, and I'm probably going to have to deal with that when, when I eventually get back. But, uh, but the reality is we, we love partnering with churches. And so we've been able to, to partner with a number of churches and, and speak about life and about hope. And so as I was looking and thinking about verses, I wanted us to go to Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Matthew 14, 22 through 33. So immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was by this time, by this time was a long way away from land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now think about that. He, he just, I just, it's just like a sentence. He came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, you are truly the son of God. So, so just think about where we're at. They, they just fed the, the 5,000. They just saw an amazing miracle. Jesus says, uh, because he's an amazing servant leader, hey, I need y'all to go away. I'm going to pray and kind of get, get my mind and my heart right. And a lot of the disciples are fishermen that, you know, getting on a boat's not a big deal. So they get on a boat and just, they're just going to float for a little bit until he's done praying. 
And this was around between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And if you know anything about time, it's still dark, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And so, uh, so it's also stormy. So the boat floats out about three miles from shore. And then while the disciples are, are just kind of chilling on the boat, they see something walking on the water. Now put yourself in that scenario uh, and, and how scared you might be not having a clue what that is. And they obviously, the first thought was, this is a ghost. Uh, they could have thought a number of things. But, but I love that all Jesus had to do was say, hey, it's me. And just his voice. Now think about it. It's stormy. It's windy. It's probably loud. But Jesus' voice broke through all of that when he said, it's me. And so then I love that that's not enough. Peter then has to go, well, if it is you, then command me to get out of this boat and walk to you. And then Jesus obliges and says, come on. And then Peter actually got out of the boat. I'd have been like, well, I want to make, okay, sorry, Jesus, I was calling your bluff. I just wanted to make sure it was you. I don't have to get out of the boat. I trust you. Uh, but Peter actually got out of the boat. And what we tend to gloss over in this text is it says Peter walked on water. So he didn't step out and immediately fall in. You ever, uh, if, if you've been on a boat and we're right by the water, I'm sure you've, you've been on a boat. Uh, I have a healthy fear of water. Uh, some may say unhealthy fear of water. It makes me really nervous, but you put a life jacket on me and I feel like Superman, which is probably not a, a smart thing. But, but I remember getting out of a boat, even with a life jacket on, and you sink, typically. Your head goes under and, and you sink. But, but here what we see is Peter steps out of the boat and it's like stepping on the concrete. And it's stormy. And the, the, the wind is blowing. And, it, and it's a crazy night. And, um, and I, I love that, that the text actually says Peter walked on water. Which is amazing. But then what happened? Peter began to realize the storm around him. The destruction around him. And he shifted his eyes from Jesus. And he started to probably think. Whoa, 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 I'm a, I'm a human. I can't walk on water. Certainly not in a, stormy, in, a, in a stormy sea. And so he starts to sink. And then notice what Peter doesn't do. Peter doesn't look back to his boys on the boat and say, throw me a raft. He doesn't say, throw me a rope. It, it doesn't even say he starts swimming or kicking his feet or waving his arms. Or, you know, I, I, some people can tread water for hours. I'm good for about two minutes. And so if, if you can get to me in about two minutes, then I'm going to be okay. If not, then just pray, pray for us, okay? So, uh, but Peter doesn't do any of those things. Peter simply looks up and says, Jesus, save me. And I love this text because what, we're, what we see in the midst of the storm and the chaos is what happens when we shift our eyes back to Jesus, it doesn't change the fact that the storm and chaos is still there, still present. It just means we put our eyes to where it needs to be. So what does this have to do with, with life? And what does this have to do with Hope Resource Center? Because a lot of times in our work, in the, in the life movement or whatever you want to call it, we, we typically have a posture of, woe is me, we're losing, we're not winning, there's a million abortions every year. There's been 60 million since Roe v. Wade in 1973. 
And so we, we take on this, uh, this whiny, bitter posture of there's no hope for this movement. So what have we done? We've shifted our focus to the destruction and chaos around us. And that's now become our normal. And we think we can never get back to where it needs to be. But what we see in this text is what we have to do, what we need to do is shift our eyes back to Jesus. Because we, we don't win the narrative with, with just science. Science is caught up to us. It's caught up to the gospel when it comes to life. We know now that life begins at conception. We know when a heartbeat begins. We know now that a baby feels pain at 20 weeks. We know now that they have their own organs and DNA and finger, fingerprints and toes and, and their own dreams. We know now that when doctors perform surgery in utero at 20 weeks, they give anesthesia to the baby. Now, why would they do that if they didn't think the baby was feeling pain? We know now through via ultrasound that, that babies coil to touch. So science has caught up. And, and I think for, for many folks, we thought, well, once that happens, then the argument's over. But the argument's not over because we have made this a political issue. So when anybody talks about it, and I'm sure there's people in this room, when you, when you heard that that, that was what was going to be talked about today, you immediately made snap judgments about me, and that's okay, because I would have done the same thing. Because we, we go to our political corners, right? And so then we, we just run to our political corners and we start saying, well, you can't say this and you can't believe that. Why would you believe that? It's a, we, we say things like it's a woman's choice or a man has no right to say anything. Or, and, and what we start to do is we start to neglect the fact that human beings are affected by this. So while we're having our arguments, while we're making our, our political statements, we have a young lady that comes to Hope Resource Center that needs help. And I can assure you, she's not sitting down and going, uh, now, now, Miss Nurse, what is your thought on, on the pain-capable bill that the, in, in Washington that the Senate just uh, filibustered? They're not, they're not worried about that. And so when we run after our political statements, we start seeing people as, as pawns in our political game instead of actual image bearers that deserve our love and care. And so, again, we need to be engaged in the culture. I and, and some of our staff went to Washington and marched with hundreds of thousands of people, not, in, not to tell the world what we were against, but to tell the world what we were for, and that is life. You see, culture and society has said that life is the alternative choice. They even call places like Hope Resource Center the alternative to the abortion clinic. Well, that's turned it upside down. You see, life is the primary choice. A pregnancy center is the primary step, not the alternative. And so what that does, when we start seeing life as as, as humans that bear the image of our creator, then our interactions change. We actually start to hear people. 
and we don't see them as a, uh, some kind of weird political statement, but just as a person. I often joke, and it's a sad joke, but if you look in the contacts on my phone, I told you I was a political science major. The only friend I have from college is my wife. Now, some of you are going, that's weird. You don't have friends. But, uh, but the reason is, is because I went to school every single day looking for someone to not, not help them change their perspective, but looking to win a debate. And I won a lot of debates. But do you think I convinced anybody to change their mind? No, because I saw them as just political pawns in my game. And so what we have to do is we have to actually see people to have those conversations with. And so, so what, what Peter was showing us when he walked on water, when he, when he sank, and when he looked at Jesus and said, save me, was he was showing us that Jesus is enough. So Jesus is enough for Peter on the water. Jesus was enough for the thousands the day before that they fed, and he's enough for us today. And, and that's what we have to look at, at at the work that we're doing at Hope Resource Center is that we're not simply seeking to change people's minds. We're not see, simply seeking for babies to be born and having life now. That's a large part of it. But we also care about their eternal life, which again is why we've expanded parenting classes. It's why we're bringing patients here to have Bible studies. You know, oftentimes we're, we're asked, well, well, all you care about is baby. You don't care about anything else. Typically, the, the folks that say that know nothing about Hope Resource Center or the Pregnancy Center movement. But... But the reason why we have four nurses on staff and three nurse practitioners on staff and the reason why we throw all the baby showers that we throw and provide the parenting classes and the mentoring is because for many of our patients, their entire life, they've been given seconds and thirds. And what we want to give them is first, we want to show them that intrinsically they have value, not because of something they can provide for us, but because of who created them. And so because of the partnerships that we have around the city, we're able to look at our patients and say, in those moments when you feel like no one cares about you or your baby or your situation, there are over 50 churches in this city that partner with us every single month financially, there's churches in the city that open their doors to us. There's thousands of individuals across the state and country that, that partner with us to, to, to make sure that you're going to have the care that you deserve. And so the model really is strangers standing for strangers. Because the vast majority of the folks that partner with us will never meet any of our patients. And our patients will never meet any of them. But they give and they pray and they partner because they believe that, they, that our patients bear the image of our creator. 
And so that's why we do the work that we do. So some of you are sitting here and going, well, well, that's all well and good. But, but the reality is some people are going to come to Hope Resource Center and still choose abortion. What do you do for them? Well, here's what we do for them. We love them the same way. We don't chastise them. We don't shame them. Because if we believe in the cross and the grace of Jesus, then what we know is Christ died for me and you on our worst day, not our best day. And so if you think back through your life and you think about the darkest day you've ever had, full of sin, that was on Jesus' mind when he was on the cross. And so if we, if we can't believe that grace is there for the post-abortive, then that's not a gospel that is about salvation and grace and mercy. That doesn't mean we water down the truth. It doesn't mean that we, uh, we, we certainly don't refer out for abortion. We don't encourage abortion. But we know without a doubt there are going to be instances where patients choose that. Or patients come to us and they have abortion in their past. And every time I speak to uh, large groups, there's no question that there's, there's people in that room that have dealt with it indirectly or directly. And what I say to you, and I know your pastor, this is a, in the, a safe, safe space has kind of been uh, uh, a term that, that has been perverted. But this is a safe space. If you can't come in your, your church with your brokenness, then, then I don't know what to tell you. And I know, that the, I know the hearts of your pastors here, and this is a place you can do that. And so grace and mercy is a beautiful thing. And so at Hope Resource Center, again, it's not just about have your baby. It's not just about make better decisions. Now, yes, there are better decisions to be made. But it's understanding the same God that, that saved me, the same Jesus that went to the cross for me, is the same Jesus that went to the cross for our patients and their babies. And so regardless of who walks in the door at Hope Resource Center, they're going to be treated as if Jesus himself walked in the door. Why? Because we know intrinsically they, they deserve our love, value, and respect. And so as we, as we think through this, the reason I wanted to talk about that text is because I, I wanted us to get a focus on Peter's feet. Right? So the same feet that, that took Peter onto the water, the same feet that Jesus caressed as he was washing the disciples' feet, the same feet that Scripture says, how beautiful the feet are those that carry the good news, do you know how Peter died? He was crucified upside down. So those feet that carried the gospel to the world carried the weight of his body as he took his last breath and were elevated. So do we see ourselves as vehicles for the gospel? Some of you in here may not have 
given any thought to the pro-life issue. Some of you may see it as a political issue. Some of you may be very uncomfortable that we're even talking about it today. But I'm, I'm letting you know the only way we see a shift is if gospel-believing people lead the way. Because the courts have decided, they decided in 1973, legislation continues to struggle if it gets passed or not. But the hearts of the people are up for grabs. And what we now know is the younger generation, the millennial generation, that oftentimes gets, uh, gets talked bad about in the news, which I, I would just ask who raised the millennial generation, but we won't get into that. But, but as, we, as we walk through those, those thought processes, the generation that's finally going to stand up for a generation that's been aborted is the millennial generation. You know how I know that? Because we've spent our entire life seeing our siblings via ultrasound. Some of you in here, there was a time in your life where ultrasound was not a thing. But I've always been able to see an ultrasound of my siblings. My kids walk by our refrigerator and go, oh, there's Charlie. And it's a 3D image of of Charlie inside the womb. My kids went to the hospital with us, which I would not recommend to see the ultrasound. But I wanted them to see that, that little Charlie inside of mommy had just as much value then as she does now and when we actually get to hold her. And so I do believe that ultrasound is changing the way we see things and giving us a, a new perspective. And so as we, as we walk through that and as we look about seeing a generation changed and ultimately longing for the day that abortion would be unthinkable in a civilized society, not just illegal, but as we, as we look across the world and we look at where our laws compared to other nations across the world, we line up with North Korea. If you want to think about our abortion laws, that's where we're at, the same as North Korea. That should concern us. But if it doesn't concern you enough to have a conversation with your neighbor, then it doesn't concern you. If it doesn't concern you enough to to have conversations with family members or even have conversations with yourself and truly figure out how can I articulate my position on life and where does it begin? does, Does my basis on my issue start with politics or start with the gospel? And it should start with the gospel. If we are uh, gospel-believing Christians, that's where it should begin. And so that's what we do at, at Hope Resource Center is we seek to, to see the gospel taken to these patients. We seek to be there for them as they choose life. We seek to be there for them if they choose adoption. And in, in, the, in the instances when they leave our building and get an abortion, it breaks our heart. But we seek to be there for them after that decision. I'm going to end with, with one last story that, that really covers that. We had a patient come in one day, and she was really, really upset. Uh, unplanned pregnancy. 
scared of, of the next step and, and not knowing what she needed to do. And our nurse loved on her and took care of her, walked her through the options in front of her. And the patient walked away, and we really had no idea what she was going to choose. And our patient simply wrote a note in the file saying, call, our, our, our nurse wrote a note in the file and said, call this patient for a follow-up in a week and a half or two weeks. And so our nurse did that. It came, and, and the nurse made the phone call, and the patient said, I'm currently sitting in my car where I just walked out of the abortion clinic, and I couldn't do it. And so she couldn't go through with the abortion, but think about how comforting that phone call was when she walked out of that abortion clinic to hear from someone at Hope Resource Center that met her once and cared enough about her to follow up, not to judge, not to shame, but to say, I'm here if you need me. That is who we are. We are not motivated out of bitterness or anger or hate. We're motivated out of love for our neighbor, and that includes the neighbor in the womb and outside of the womb. And I'd love to talk to you more about what we do at Hope, and Megan and I will be out there at the table uh, here in a little while. But I'm, I'm going to pray for us now, and I think Dan's going to come up. But, but if you have any questions or concerns, or, or maybe today you just need to pray about your life and what you've been through, uh, or, or just talk to somebody, I'm happy to do that. Maybe you're sitting here and you're going, I don't really agree with something that guy said. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about that. And so, but, but let's, let us come together as, as gospel-loving believers to see a day where, where this is just a footnote in history. And let us be on the right side of history when that day comes. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We just thank you for this church. I thank you for their heart and their, their passion for life and, and their partnership with with hope, Lord, I thank you for bringing us here this morning. And Lord, I just pray that we would, um, we would pick up uh, this flag and carry it. And that we would be, be bold in our stance, but, but also loving and caring in our stance. As we tell the world that life has value because of who created it. Uh, let, us, let us go with that message. Let us take that message uh, as long as you give us breath, Lord. And we love you and praise you and thank you in your name. Amen.